what we do. What we do. The Bible overwhelmingly states this, but, see, both are true. He's in control of all things. Yet we make choices. Those choices have consequences, right? We're accountable for our actions, right? How those, <clears throat> how those two work, the Bible doesn't explain to us, but the numerous passages in Scripture, we just must accept and submit to Scripture that it does teach that, right? And then just walk in that truth to the best of our understanding. Because remember, even before that, all this comes in back in the beginning when I was telling you about, right, what it truly means to know God. He says, right, first to, to us being born from above, and then from that point on growing in our knowledge of him. And the more we know of him through his word and walk with him and walk that out, the more and more acquainted we are with him, the more and more true that becomes, the more and more assured we become of all those truths of God, who he is, what he does, and everything he's revealed about himself. Not these, uh, call them enchantments, our Eastern wisdom, our mysticism coming in, our, you know, uh, do journaling or do this or do that, all these numerous books that are written by people on that, but the scripture itself tells us, right, we come to know God through the scriptures, right? And the more we, the more we know him and live that out, as time goes on, right, the more we're increasing that, the more we know him, those words know, come out to be, it's like gaining knowledge and continuously gaining more and more of that knowledge. You know, just like me and my wife, Right, know each other a lot better now than we did when we first met. You know, and, and that's not the best analogy in the world, but it's the best one I can think of at the moment. But anyway, I wanted to I wanted to say that to where were we? To uh, say this that read this. That right, that God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that He keeps them existing and maintaining their properties. Right? He cooperates with created things in every action, dictating their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And all of these, that's how He directs them to fulfill His purposes is already decreed purposes. With that, with, uh, and I did mention what I wanted to talk to is when we talk about these things, most people ha don't have a problem, right, with most Christians, right, with understanding, okay, uh, God's in control of the weather, right, uh, you know, God's in control of uh, the creatures and that, but you know, how does he, you know, direct our lives? And how can it how can it be, you know, he doesn't do that. The argument I'm talking about is, right, well, you know, free will versus, you know, sovereignty of God. Let's say when it comes down to is sovereign, is God truly sovereign in all things, including man and man's actions, 
Are is the only sovereign in some things, right? The Bible teaches all things, but sometimes it's hard to go with that because the question, the big question that comes up to get us, well, then what about evil things? What about bad things, right? And we're gonna we're gonna look at that and discuss that. And I encourage any questions or, or comments about it. But with saying that, right, that he determines all things. We're just going to read some passages in the scripture. I said that we read a lot of individual verses last time, discuss them, but some particular places in scripture that bring this thing out where we see God completely in charge and directing, you know, various actions. But if you would just turn to Genesis 50. We all know, especially for this church, right, this should be all very familiar to us. Genesis 50, you know, it picks up, Jacob has passed, right? Jacob has passed, you know, they, they, they bury Jacob. But in uh, starting in uh, verse 15, right, <clears throat> And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Remember at first they were so, so jealous and envious of him. You know, if you, to help refresh your memories, right, that at first they were going to kill him. But, you know, then they threw him a pit and they just had to, you know, sell him into slavery. But, right, they, they had done evil unto him. <clears throat> verse 16, And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, actually his father didn't, right? They were worried. So, 17, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. So obviously they saw their guilt, they knew they had sinned in the evil they had committed against Joseph years earlier. Right? When he But Joseph wept when they spake unto him, and his brother also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Verse 19, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? It's, it's not my place to judge you. Verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. Right? So the purposes and intents of their heart and actions right, were evil. They wanted evil to befall, and they caused evil to befall upon Joseph. But God meant it unto good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. So we see there that God working, and many times he, he has intervened in history in miraculous ways that all, all people can see that was God. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the coming down of the walls of Jericho, you know, the, the massive world flood, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But by and large, generally speaking, Scripture shows us he works through secondary agents. Meaning lies of his people, right? He, we, we see in that, 
You know, where weather, weather at times, right? He can use it for judgment. He can use it for mercy. You know, he can, he'll do that. But also in people. So even though these people carried out, he used their evil desires, their evil intentions to bring to pass. And let us keep in mind, if you go back, you don't have to turn there, but remember, long before this happened, right? Hundreds of years before this happened, God told Abraham that his offspring, right, would be in Egypt, but he'd deliver them. He always, he always purposed to bring him down there, and he always purposed to have Joseph sitting there to protect him. Remember how, how they set him up and everything else? It was just interesting, right? It was always God's purpose to do this, but he used the evil intentions of men's hearts to bring it to pass. But it wasn't a plan B. His purpose always was, right, to have Joseph there, right, and the things he did, if you think of that. But remember, it wasn't a plan B. It wasn't, okay, they just did this thing. Now, how can I use it? No, they did this thing because they were, that's how God was using them to fulfill his decree. But he's not to be blamed for evil. He just used their evil desires and intentions, right? Because they wanted evil to befall them. God just used that so he'd end up in Egypt, right? So he'd be there at Pharaoh's and he said everything in pass. But that word too, right? But God meant it unto good. That word meant to weave together, to purpose. Right, but think of that weaving, right? So, right, he weaved their actions, right, into when you think of it. And then, you know, the caravan that came along, and then, oh, you know, I'll sell it into that. That wasn't coincidence. And then, you know, we know he ended up in prison, ended up, but God weaved that all together from the very beginning. Because long before it happened, he decreed from the beginning that that would happen. So we just see that, it's just that the, you know, the Bible doesn't explain to us exactly how he does that, right? They still sinned in what they did. They'll still be accountable for that sin. But it was God's purpose that he used them in it to fulfill. <clears throat> Another place just going along systematically when we look at that, turn to 2 Samuel. I'm doing this trying to lay this groundwork because, and then how it, how it comes up and it's so practical to us, but also when we think of, you know, how great and awesome the gift of salvation truly is. But in the end, that this is very comforting to us to know if we can, if we also to understand for our own sakes the contentment we can have that He is in absolute control, but also so we can thankfully. If it hasn't happened yet, believe me, you, you'll run into a situation or thoughts about this that people always think, aha, got you, you know, what about evil on that? Well, first, best way to have it a defense, right, is just to know what does God reveal about it? What does God teach us in his word about these things? So, in 2 Samuel, chapter 24, <clears throat> we read this, in, starting in verse 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So he calls Joab, he calls his main, you know, his main chief, 
You know, the man of the army tells him, go out, I want all of Israel numbered. You can read through it. Joab, you know, tries to talk him out of it, saying, <laughs> don't do this, you know. Don't sin. He says, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. So they go out. You, 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 read, you can read through there. And they number, they take a census of all the fighting men of Israel that are ready to fight. Just go to verse 10. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. So we see in verse 1, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So he was angry towards Israel, right? And so we're told that, so because he was angry with Israel, because of their sinfulness, and you, you just read the, the chapters before it, because of their ungodliness, he moved, God moved David to do this census. Though David sinned when he did it, right? Because he's just supposed to count on the Lord, and that's what Joe tried to explain to him, right? Don't number the people of Israel thinking it's in your great power, it's because of the number of armed men we have that we're so great and we're, we win battles and things like that, right? <clears throat> and after he realized that sin, we read in verse 11, For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine, and by the way, just so you understand, because we're going to cross-reference this and see something else about it in Chronicles, but that's the Masoretic text. It says seven. The Septuagint says three. I say that because when we go to First Chronicles or cross-references, First Chronicles says three. So the Septuagint reads together, which was a thousand years before the Masoretic but I just want people to understand that because it's one of the places they'll say, see, there's a contradiction in Scripture. But I just want to throw that in there, but we don't have time to get into that. But shall seven years, it should really read three, it doesn't Septuagint, a famine come unto thee in thy land, or wilt thou flee three months before the enemies, while they pursue thee, or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. Verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, so three days, right? And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba, 70,000 men. So because of their ungodliness, God chose that he was going to judge them and do this and sent this judgment upon them, and 70,000 men perished. In order, in his divine decree and his divine counsel, chose David, right, to sin against him, to move it since he was the leader of the nation, so he would punish them for David's sin, but in reality, you know, he was punishing him for their ungodliness. But there we see then, then again, God using a secondary agent, right, to bring his purposes about to pass. But he used the pride in David's heart, you know, 
that momentary pride he had of wanting to number his people to see how great of an army he had. But we don't blame God for evil because he's not evil, right? He's good, he's righteous, he's pure, he's just. But where some people have mistaken this doctrine, they try to somehow make excuses or not want to contend with, well, what about when evil happens? God's in control of that. He doesn't make any excuses for himself in Scripture, neither should we. Right? God is the potter, we are the clay. God created all of creation for his purpose and his pleasure. Amen? That's what we read throughout Scripture. The problem is God's ultimate purpose in creating all creation wasn't so in the end he could save man. His ultimate purpose was to create all of creation. This is what Scripture says over and over and over again was for his purposes, fulfill his purposes to bring about his glory, to display his glory, and for his pleasure. There's something about when we talk about the Reformation, we'll get into that in the conference coming up. you got to attend that when we understand, right? Under the glory of God alone. That's the ultimate doctrine that's been lost in much of the church now. But so far, does anyone have any questions or comments? Before you do I should add one other thing. I was mentioning it. So go to 1 Chronicles 21. And we'll see this, this same thing is mentioned again, but we're... One thing is added. One little other piece of information that's not mentioned in 2 Samuel. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And we'll read it. This is talking about the same thing. The census. David taking the census. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. What? Satan provoked David to Israel. Well, when we go back to 2 Samuel 24, right? Verse 1, he, God moved David against him to say, go number Israel. God controls Satan too. Here we see, we see two different secondary causes. He used Satan and he used David to fulfill his purposes. Right? Use their desires at the time, right, to fulfill his purposes. Doesn't explain to us why in that, but it's very clear in there. And when you read First Chronicles 21, you could just go through it and you'll see it definitely is talking about the same thing, because he goes on to verse 2, the narrative's the same. Right? Everything's the same. Joab says the same things to us, tries to talk him out of it, you know, and then he brings another's. He brings the numbers. And then in verse 8, now it's in verse 8 of 21, And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have now done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very, very foolishly. And you just go on to read there, and it's the same thing. You can either have, well, here, three years of famine. That's why I mentioned the seven. If you use the Septuagint, which was, right, hundreds of years before Christ, the translated scriptures, Hebrew scriptures of the Greek, compared to the Masoretic, which is hundreds of years after Christ, and the Septuagint is what, you know, is what Jesus and the apostles constantly quoted from. That, and that's basically where they only use the Septuagint to verify you know, quotations of the apostles in Scripture. But either three years famine or three months would be destroyed before thy foes, or three days of the pestilence. Right? So we see it is the same thing. And 70,000 men perished. 
So there we just see in Scripture, when you compare the two, that there's the secondary agents that God used. And here we're showed that he used, he used Satan to go ahead and tempt, or tempt David to get up there. But in the end, we see the purpose, the, the one primary behind the whole thing to fulfill his purpose was God. Right? Now, if you go ahead to Job... We'll see another place where that even comes out even more clear in the book of Job. Where, by the way, if you go to Job, especially those ones I just read, but go to Job and you'll find this is a real tough verse for charismatics. Because that's say we're all supposed to prosper, right? Anything bad happens to you, it must be because of sin. It's, you know, God just means us to prosper and always, you know, trot along and everything. And I, I'm, you know, and I'm talking about the majority of the charismatic movement. But <clears throat> the book of Job, it opens up chapter 1, right? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. Of course, we talked about it before, right? There was no perfect man with what he believed. He had a sincere faith in God and with his heart endeavored to follow God in all his ways, right? Because we're, we're told plainly in Scripture there's no one you know, living, who has not sinned. And we're told in the New Testament, right, there is no one righteous, right? It's just that perfection, you know, in this life, as humans, when we have, you know, when we have this, you know, this flesh, right, it, we're incapable, you know, of perfection. It won't be until another time. But I just want to bring that out. I just meant, you know, when we read through all Scripture, we compare Scripture and Scripture. We talk about it all the time. Right, perfection just meant right. These people like Noah, he found grace in the eyes of God. But these people believed in God. They believed the promises of God. They believed the word of God, right? And they followed Him with with their hearts. Was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil, right? And we know, right? God is the author of all of Scripture, so God wants us to know this about this man. That's the first thing we're, we're told about this man, Job. <clears throat> okay, got down to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of Job came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Again, now the second time in eight verses, right? God want, wanted us to know, want, wants all of, for all of history to know, that this, this man was a, a man after God's own heart. He followed God, right? He hated evil. He loved righteousness, right? He, he loved God. <clears throat> now I've dropped on to verse 11. I just want to go through this, right? This is Satan speaking to the Lord. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. 
You notice even Satan understood because Satan first said, right, but put forth your hand. Right? Because all is in God's hands. All is in God's control. All is in God's sovereignty. Right? And then the Lord said to Satan, and see, so was he, right? He, yeah, Satan, that's the thing saying there's a big battle between good and evil. The battle's already won, right? Everything Satan does in that is the creed of God. He's in absolute control. Satan does nothing without God's, without, without God's will, right? God will not let him go beyond what he has determined. And that's why he said unto him, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. And then we read here, right? He just came and he took him, right? I mean, his wealth was taken away. And all ten of his children, you know, died. You know, because not only we see, you know, God used, you know, of course, by, you know, going through Satan, you know, because of Satan's evil desires and the Satan's corrupted heart. But use that because it was always a decree, right? He's he, he had already determined, right? He wants the very beginning. He wants us to understand this is an upright man. This wasn't because of any sin Job had committed. Job was a man who hated evil and loved righteousness and and did righteousness. <clears throat> so he took him away, and then he he sends a violent storm, brings down the house, and all his children are dead. <clears throat> Verse 20 of chapter 1. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. I wonder, I asked myself on that, if that happened to me, if I in one moment lost every th all my wealth, I mean, you know, everything except my very own house, now, right? I lost everything. I mean, my, my children died, right? I'm very wealthy. I lose it. I basically lose it all. And I get all that news, one right on top of the other. Right? It'd be like a, every five, ten minutes. Okay, that's gone. All your stocks are gone. All your uh, gold and silver is gone. All your investments are gone. Oh, you have no job. Oh, and by the way, your kids just died. Would our first thought be to fall to the ground and worship? I'm not, I'm just trying to get it. I'm just trying to go, you know, I mean, this, this, this is a man who loved God and un, un, understood, understood quite a bit. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, in his understanding, the Lord had given him all of that. The Lord, for some reason, had decided to take it all away. He said, Blessed be his name. Was he wrong? That's why I say charismatics hate this. But we need to wrap our heads around this and understand it to the best of the ability we can. The more firmly we understand it, I mean, there's power in that. A power of contentment is great. It can give you great peace. It will give you great peace. Verse 22, in all this, Job sinned not. So what he said was true. He didn't say anything about God that was not true. He understood God gave him everything he had. God had just taken it away. Nor charged God foolishly. That's amazing. We just see again God using Satan. God's using the Sabians and the Chaldeans, the people that came upon and took all his wealth. And God using weather to fulfill his purposes. I would say that in the realm of things and everything, we would call those evil things. 
the death of children, the theft of all your wealth. Right? And it doesn't stop there at chapter 2. Again, verse 1, And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Verse 3, And here the Lord lets us know for the third time, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. You know, he hated evil. He, he tried to keep it out of his life. You know, like we use that saying, right? That don't even have the appearance of evil. Don't even look upon it, right? He hated evil. He did everything he could to keep it away from him. <clears throat> and, and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him. So even God himself is saying, who just did that to Job? What does scripture say? What just happened to Job? The loss of all his wealth, the loss of his children. Who was it? Scripture says, God tells us, it was him. And of course, Satan didn't control it, right? We know he purposes all things out, so it's not like there was any kind of challenge. He always controls them on that, right? But... You moved me against him to destroy him without cause. Right? So there was no cause, no sin. There was no sin. There was no reason for, let's call it this great chastisement. It was not a great chastisement. It was, you know, we're, we're actually never told why. Shouldn't think of it. Okay. Verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thy hand now, so Satan knows Right, who's in charge? But put forth your hand now, God, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. Right, you can only go so far. Go ahead, t touch him, inflict him, but you can't take his life. Verse 7, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And Job, right, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Can you imagine that? Now, not only has, and to his understanding, we're told that the scripture tells us that, had God taken away all his livelihood, God had taken away all his children, and now God had taken away his health, right? Now he has boils all over his skin. His wife, verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10, I love this. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. <laughs> what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? So again, he saw that the evil that befell him, the ultimate source of it, was God himself. That's what he just said, and the scripture tells us Job didn't sin when he said this. Right, Just like before, we understood that. Just like we're, we're told when we, when we see in the story of Genesis, you know, in the life of Joseph, right? 
It was God's decree. It was God's purpose. He just used secondary agents to bring about his purposes. Exactly how he does this, the Bible does not explain to us. But man is still accountable for everything he does. And the choices we make do have consequences. Believe me, those other people who sinned and did evil, though they're moved, right? Trust me, they're guilty of great sin for the theft they did. And they, they murdered all Job's servants, by the way, except one in each instance. So, you know, he really did lose everything. But that's what Scripture shows us. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's so important to know, and it's, and it's interesting because not that, right, our first and foremost thing, right, Scripture is our teacher. God teaches us. The Holy Spirit teaches us through Scripture. But it's always good, and I always take this approach, read the Scriptures first, right, then go, uh, go to other people that you see as gifted teachers of the Lord. Read their commentaries. Are those books, those type of books, are, and look through church history and see what they wrote about these matters and see if what you're reading and when you look at the Word, are you submitting to it? Are you understanding it the way it comes to you, right? Because Scripture is our ultimate authority, right? It is truth. It's the one thing we can hold on to. But as you just said, Dean, right? We need to get a hold of this and understand that he is in absolute control. And he may, and he does send things in our path. And for the most part, generally speaking, my Christian life has been one of blessing. But there have been times where there have been great trials in there. And I'm sure all of us can relate. Now, he brings some of us through more, some less, different. Whatever it may be. But remember, go to First Peter, like when he talks about, and if it be the will of God, if it be the will of God that you suffer, so be it. Just trust in your faithful creator. We can trust him. Because he also tells us he'll never put anything upon us that we're not able to bear. You know, so we have him, the scriptures, he tells us angels minister unto us. I mean, we have, if we get the, get the idea where he's in absolute control and we get a hold of his promises, we need to realize that we don't have to know what it is, but there is a reason 
He has a reason, and it's good. It's good. And who's the the judge of who's good? Our righteous judge, the Lord, amen. Because will not God of all the earth do what is right? The the implied, right, rhetorical. Yes, he always will. Yeah, Dean. Yeah. Look at more. I I would just say to that uh, we're running out of time here. Well, let's say over the course of the next week we're going to come back together, and I want us to look at uh, several places in the New Testament that teach us this same truth, right? But you know, because we've been we've been saying in the Old Testament. But if you quickly to leave you with this, turn to Isaiah chapter ten. And we, we see here that, right, it, it tells us about, right, Israel is being ungodly again, right, and being idolatrous and everything else. But beginning in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger, and the staff in their hand is my indignation. He just declares and he just tells us in scripture here that he's about to use the Assyrians, right, to carry out his wrath, his judgment upon Israel. Now, I would just recommend read the whole thing because, you know, when, when they have done this and then he, he goes, well, actually, we'll read part of it, right? Verse 6, I will send him against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath while I give him a charge. The king of Assyria, right? And henceforth the nation of Assyria. To take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Sounds like an evil, calamitous thing. Amen? He's about to perform great judgment unto Israel for, for their ungodliness and their unfaithfulness. He'll tread them down in the streets. Take their spoil. Take their stuff, right? Verse 7, though. Howbeit he, Assyria, meaneth not so, neither does his heart think so. But it is his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. See, so God tells us right away, no, he's bringing up the Assyrians. He's going to use them to carry out his wrath and indignation upon the sinful nation of Israel. And verse 7 tells us, but the Assyrian doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't think this way. This isn't, he doesn't realize that that's why he's doing this, right? He thinks it's Israel to destroy nations. Israel is just another one, and he goes out telling us about that. 
when you read the next several verses, because he, he, he talks about other, other nations that he's conquered. Verse 12, Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, right, the, him pouring out his wrath, him pouring out judgment upon them, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his eye looks. For he saith by the, the Syrian, right, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed our treasures, and have put down inhabitants and like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as the nest of the riches of all the people. And, you know, he goes on, right? So he's going to punish him. See, we see again, right? He made a choice to attack Israel and steal from them and, you know, and kill many of them. But he didn't realize what he's doing, but God's going to punish him for the evil he just committed against Israel. Because though it was God's decree that it happened, right, it wasn't in their heart. They didn't think they were doing something righteous, carrying out God's deal. They were committing evil. They were stealing and killing. So he's going to pour it out them. And also because they were proud, right, they thought, hey, this is all myself. You know, proud. Hey, I now, I took, now I took Israel, right? Verse 15. is something to remember. Shall the axe boast itself against him that hoeth therewith? In other words, right, if I grab an axe and I sling it against a tree, right, it, is that axe going to boast saying, look what I'm doing, right? I'm the one exerting all the power and everything for that axe to do anything. <clears throat> or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake itself against him that lifted up? Or if the staff should lift up itself as it were no wood. In other words, another good place for that, right, is, right, does not the potter have power over the clay, do with what he wants. But, right, just as an axe has no power to do anything of itself, right, and a saw has no power to do anything by itself, right, ultimately man, right, and that's, that, the scriptures are clear. Directs our lives. Bring things into our lives. He, he directs us and he does it in different ways. But a lot of times when we, and it isn't, in every case, it isn't some type of judgment. We see many times he uses other people to bring about his judgment or to fulfill other purposes, like in the case of Joseph. Of Joseph. And then in the case of Job, we're not told why. But we know if we read throughout all of Job, that Job came to a much greater understanding and appreciation of the Lord than he had ever had before. And if you go to James chapter 5, all we're told about all that happened to Job was you see the patience of Job, how God was merciful. Well, it doesn't sound merciful, does it? When you first think about it, with our human, limited human understanding, all the suffering that Job went through, and for and he hadn't done any any sin for it, right? But God had a purpose, and there's always a purpose in everything he does, and we know he's always righteous and good. But we'll get into this more later. Does anyone have any questions or last comments? All right, let us close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your blessings, and most of all, your great, great gift of salvation. Lord, as we look into and talk about your decrees, about your absolute 
omnipotence, your power over all creation, Lord, and you're working through all of creation to fulfill your purposes and bring about your glory, Lord, and your pleasure. Lord, help us to rest. Help us, our understanding and our knowledge of you, to grow. And Lord, so that we may rest. We may rest in you and in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be all the glory forever and ever. And we ask your blessing upon the upcoming service. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.